0: Blog Talk Radio. Only, only, only one like you, honey. Cause I also know something else they couldn't have made, too, not of you. Yes, you're my reality, and I'm lost in a dream. You're my first, you're my last, you're my everything.
1: Of the Old Dominion Libertarian Radio For January 22nd, 2018 I'm here tonight with Jeff Klebb And I think Andy Craig is going to join us A little bit later in the program if he can Uh, Jeffrey Sanford has the night off So Mr. Klebb, how's it going?
2: Oh, it's going well How are you tonight,
1: Joe? Uh, I'm great Uh, Doing well, doing well um, lots to talk about tonight uh, We have with us on the program in just a few short moments uh, The gentleman who is planning to seek the Libertarian Party Of Virginia's nomination for U.S. Senate To run against Tim Kaine And an unknown Republican And there are several Republican candidates uh, Vying for the top spot there uh, E.W. Jackson uh, Nick Friedus uh, Corey, Corey Stewart, and a couple of others. I hear there rumblings of some folks who may uh, try to get that. And so it's anybody's guess, but uh, uh, Matt Waters is running uh, to seek the Libertarian Party nomination uh, at the state convention, which will be held on March 10th here in Richmond. So that's coming up uh, pretty soon. And hopefully uh, we can all get out there and hear what he has to say and, and uh, vote on that. Uh, so um, since we were last on, uh, there's been a lot going on in the news. It appears that uh, the shutdown is over for the moment. Did you read about that, Mr. Klebb?
2: Uh, yeah, the Schumer shutdown. I think it's basically they kicked the can down the road they're going to come back what is it february 6th or something like that february 16th
1: uh-huh
2: and they're going to have to do it again and you know you've got the republicans who have the majority but they don't have a supermajority they seem like they republicans hold office democrats hold power and you've got schumer and the democrats who seem to be all about putting the needs of non-citizens ahead of americans and dividing us further and it just seems like a whole big the whole, for lack of a better term, it's a whole big chocolate mess.
1: hmm Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot going on. Um, there was a there was a great article, and our guest tonight actually shared it. That's how I I found out about it. It says America is bankrupt, and Republicans couldn't care less. Uh, they I, I couldn't agree with that more.
2: Neither um, of the major parties didn't. care could care less.
1: Well, one, well, one of them has never cared, and so you know, repeat, just continuously repeating that the Democrats don't care about fiscal responsibility. I mean,
2: well, they never even claim to care about it, though. The Republicans they, claim well, to they, care about it, but apparently well, they don't. De- Democrats
1: do claim to care about it, but they they never have. I mean, I've heard Democrats talk about it, but they talk about it and they never have, and Republicans. I can't remember the last time an elected Republican to national office actually really tried to reduce spending. Uh, it seems to me that they all want their little pet projects to go Well, they the wanted week. to reduce they
2: spending want... on things that the Democrats want. <laughs> well, that's,
1: that's just it. It's almost like they look around and they say, well, what do the Democrats want? And somebody says, well, they want this, this, and this. And the Republicans say, well, we're going to tell them no on that. But over here we but have. We, the want things this, that we want this,
2: this, this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, we want smaller government except for our little pet projects.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of them want and, government so uh, small it'll fit inside of a uterus. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there, there's just so much in Washington right now. I mean, one of my friends from Australia told me today, he said, you know, I watch air, air news here in Australia, and he said, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed by Malcolm Turnbull and all the the folks in Canberra, with the exception of David Lionhelm, he said. But then I look over at America, and I say, as bad as their government is, I'm so glad we don't have Donald Trump. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is there any way we could get David Lionhelm to become an American citizen?
1: Uh, I doubt it. I'd like to just get him on the program. We'll worry about that later. Um, <laughs> but oh, that would be awesome! Um, yes, I, I would. I would. I would love to do that. And I'm. I'm. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying and 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 see if we can't can't get him on because um, you know he's he's such a um, a colorful guy, to say the least. And it would be so much yeah. fun. I should've I should have gotten him on the program while he was here in the United States. And he just wasn't here during he was here in between their two shows and it was hard to get everybody together uh to have a to have a special show so that we could do that. Um, but um yeah, it would be it would be really great to have him on. Uh so our guest tonight, uh since since Andy Craig isn't here yet and um I usually like to involve him in the discussion of um, what's going on in politics right now. We'll move right into our guest. Uh, Matt Waters um, is a graduate from George Mason University in Northern Virginia. He lives in Alexandria, and uh, he's from the Tidewater area. So he's kind of been all over the map, so to speak, in in Virginia, and uh, he is uh, seeking the Libertarian Party of Virginia's nomination for U.S. Senate to run against Tim Kaine. And um, I think it's going to be an exciting race. I really do. You know, we, we need more choices. And, you mm-hmm. know, as I, as I tell, you know, people tell me, you know, I, I try not to be a one-issue voter. Sometimes I am, but I try not to be. We him. all Some are. People say, well, I don't, I don't agree with, with him on this or I don't agree with her on that. And so, I, you know, I can't vote. Well, you have – in this election coming up, hopefully, the one against Tim Kaine, you're going to have three choices. You're going to have Tim Kaine. You're going to have a Republican who hasn't been named yet, but they will be um, picked in a taxpayer-funded primary. So just remember that. You're paying for the Republican Party shenanigans in, um, in their primary. And so some people say, well, if I'm paying for it, I might as well go and vote, um, you know. But um, if <laughs> I, I look at it this way. If you were paying for a vial of cancer, would you say, well, I paid for it, so I might as well drink it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So um, but, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting uh, race. And like I said, we need more choices because um, – and in this one you'll have them – because uh, the, the two parties are not um, following through on what they're supposed to do. And I – you know, the, I, you could look at both parties and you could say, well, the Republicans are doing this and I like it. They're doing it for the wrong reasons, but I like it. And then you could turn around and you could look at the Democrats and you could say, well – They're doing this, and I like it, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons, and that's sometimes how I look at things. Or you could, in my case, you could look at the Libertarian Party and say they're doing this, 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 and this, and I like all of that, and they're doing it for the right reasons. So uh, tonight's guest, Matt Waters, we're going to bring him on now and let him tell us all about what he's up to. Uh, good evening, Matt. How are you this evening?
3: I'm well, Joe. Thanks for having me. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, we can hear you loud and clear.
3: That's wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. Doing well. Okay. Um, yeah, glad glad to be here. Glad to chat. I'm I'm enjoying your conversation. I, I'm I was actually sorry it ended. It was a little abrupt. And I thought, well, heck, they're going to bring me in. I, I want to keep hearing you guys jab a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well thank you very much. Yeah. That's the first time somebody has told us that.
3: Well, I don't know but you guys uh, have a program, so that's uh
1: that's saying something, so uh, yes. Well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you and your campaign and why you decided to run for Senate.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. You you pointed out at the beginning of the program. That I'm from, and, and not from, but living in Alexandria, we actually call the People's Republic of Alexandria. And <laughs> it's, um, you guys know, it's 80 percent, you know, Democrat. Um, and the chance of getting the message out in this area is slim and none, and uh, Slim left town, so we're kind of stuck. And, and I thought, you know, if we're going to do this. Let's go big. Let's get in a spot where our message can resonate, uh, which would be a, a statewide ballot. So that was, you know, you know, had I been in maybe another place, maybe in Richmond or downstate, uh, you know, maybe. But, but I, I am unfortunately in the Alexandria district, and um, you know, so so in some ways, I'm I'm glad my hand was forced. Uh, I've often thought. Of, uh, in, you know, of taking on this kind of thing of running for office. Um, I've been involved in a number of campaigns. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but I, I work at, uh, full-time at Students for Liberty. I've been there for two years. I uh, was at the uh, Institute for Humane Studies at George Mason University. Before that, I've been in the development uh, world, the development fundraising world for years, raising money for candidates, PACs, um, you know, non nonprofit C3 and C4 organizations. So uh, as I looked at this, and I, I, like so many libertarians, come out of the quote-unquote conservative movement, uh, disillusioned, beat up, and, and, and really I, I, today one of my favorite questions to ask, and they're still friends, my, my you know, quote-unquote conservative friend, is what is a conservative? And the, the, by the looks of the, the blank stares, and these are people, by the way, who are in the movement or in policy organizations uh, who, who have worked on campaigns and candidates, the answer is we don't really know anymore. And, you know, you guys talked about the two-party system in Washington, this deal that they reached. Um, and people often ask me, why, why would you even consider running third party? Well, I don't think of us as the third party. I think we're really the second party, because there's one party in Washington. It's the Republicans, right? Um, so I, I think this is the alternative. We are the alternative. We talk about the issues that matter, uh, you know, surveying the, the Republican landscape in Virginia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I could go on, but, but let me just stop there, and, and, and you guys may want to have, have some, you know, chime in there.
1: Okay, well, Well, I'll um, chime in. uh, Go ahead, Jeff.
2: I also come from the conservative side. I'm kind of, I was a Republican until probably sometime in the mid-90s, and I realized that I never left the Republican Party. They left me. I didn't know what a libertarian was until I found the Internet, and I'm not a 100% libertarian. I'm I'm sort of a conservative, federalist. Constitutional, Mm. conservative, and libertarian hybrid. But um, I feel like the conservatives were supposed to believe in smaller government, but then I realized so many times the Republican Party was wanting to grow government just a little bit less than the Democrat Party, but they were still growing it. Even Ronald Reagan said he wanted to get the government off the backs of the American people. He repealed the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, but then he basically went along with legislation that blackmailed all the states into adopting a 21-year-old drinking age. And, you know, it was like, well, we're going to get the government out of your life here, but we're going to put it in over there. And I just, you know, something was wrong. And then in 96, when they nominated Bob Dole, I'm like, no way. And then in 2000 and 2004, they nominated Bush twice. I voted my first vote libertarian for Harry Brown in 2000. And I've never been 100% pure libertarian, but – the party's platform is closest to the Constitution and closest to my own beliefs. And I have a hard time debating with other conservatives on these things and say, well, you guys are just Democrats who are cheap, you know." And then Democrats say, well, you guys are just Republicans that won't admit it. And it's so frustrating, but I, for some reason I just keep soldiering on and soldiering on to try and get the message out. And I applaud you for your efforts in running. Yeah, no, thank
3: you, and, and um, no, I, 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 boy, so much of that resonates, you know, I, I, as a lifelong Virginian, by the way, I, I would be, given the people who are running as of this day, both in the Republican and the Democrat Party, that, that collective party I talk about, none of those candidates uh, were born and raised in Virginia. I would be the only candidate born and raised in Virginia now, the reason I, I point that out uh, is I did grow up in the Hampton Roads area downstate, a graduate of Hampton High School. I was born in Newport News. My mother went to Christopher Newport and, and to Old Dominion. My father's a graduate of VCU. My grandfather is a, uh, was an a, a instructor at the Newport News shipbuilding, the apprentice school there. And, in fact, if you date my family back, you can date it back 400 years to a little place called Jamestown in the year 1607. So we've been <laughs> here a long time. Been here a very long time, and I love the state. Uh, and to see, to come along and you know, of course, you know, Republican politics in the day. One of the most disillusioning things for me was as a young Republican supporting Ben Oliver North. Gosh, when was this? Back in the early '90s or something, when our senior C- uh, Senator John Warner ran a Republican against. His Republican nominee in the party To destroy Oliver North And um, mm-hmm. th- This this just became routine I mean the, it was sort of a circular firing squad um, and, and, it, and You know it was just a brazen uh, and, and you know Northam was pulled out By the way I mean he only lost by two or three Points against then Chuck Robb um, And these kinds Of things you know you see this kind of Pile up not only the politics That stink or that reek but then you come to the, 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 the policies that are far more important than dirty politics, right? The policies of, and he talked about it, um, a growing state. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan said I, he gave a, he gave an interview to Reason Magazine back in the mid seventies, and, and he quoted something to the effect that you know behind every good Republican is a solid libertarian. I mean, he's coming out of the Goldwater thing, and that's kind of where I come out of. I, I'm not that old, but I certainly mm-hmm talking back to Goldwater, Constitutional Conservative, that's really a libertarian manifesto for all practical purposes. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to buy into it. If you look at the Tidewater Libertarian Party, for example, they uh, you know, their talking points of limiting government property rights, non-interventionist foreign policy, you know, respect for individual rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These, these are the very ideas that, that you know, you're right, it used to be the Republican Party, and it's long since, they've long since abandoned that. And I think that We've got to get serious about some issues. When you have a candidate who's running who – and I'll call him Confederate Co- Corey, for example, who's going to make monuments an issue.
0: Um, Confederate Corey. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I borrow, love
3: that. I'll borrow a page from, you know, from Trump here, but Confederate Corey. Look, I'm a Virginian. I have a deep abiding respect for what we did in 1861. I do. I respect it. I get it. But we lost the war. It's time to kind of move on and we have to let the people decide in Richmond and other places how to deal with it. But but beyond all that kind of thing, it's not the big issue that we're facing in this country. Not it's not Confederate monuments. I'm sorry, it's just it's just not a big issue right now. The big issue is we have a twenty trillion dollar debt and a hundred trillion dollar debt if you throw in unfunded liabilities. It's That's more than that. bigger well, yeah, I think maybe up to – maybe it's 120 trillion now, but it just I, – I hope in my, my website, which I hope to launch in the next week, uh, we'll have a debt clock rolling on it um, because that's going to be one of the things. It, you know, my campaign, like Harry Brennan, is to cut spending. If you want to get serious about, you know, really radical reforms in this country, you've got to get to cutting spending. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Ron Paul's plan back in, oh, what, 08 or whatever, 2012, he looked at cutting $1.5 trillion annually from the federal uh, budget. Very doable. Very doable. And in fact, he said, you know, all you have to do, if you could get spending levels back to the, like, the, like the, light, uh, the the late 1990s, you could absolutely eliminate the federal income tax for everybody and nothing would change. You could literally eliminate that. If you just cut spending back, the point was cut spending, and by the way, I would pick up Uh, Ron Paul's liberty amendment That would be the first thing I would do is introduce it To repeal the personal Income tax, federal income tax And replace it with nothing Not a fair tax Not a flat tax The IRS was weaponized Under Barack Obama It's weaponized under Republican Presidents as well There's no reform It's not worth talking about reforming this and we're seeing it even now in the debate about the deep state, right? Uh, if it's the State Department, or it's the FBI, or if it's the Department of Justice, these institutions are at their core corrupt. They're bankrupt institutions, and we need to rearrange uh, how we do business to contract with the people and Americans. And, and you know, Republicans aren't, you know, again, we're talking about monuments, but yet we've got a debt that's threatening the very republic, the existence of the republic itself, and no one's talking about it.
1: Well, to be fair, what else would Corey Stewart talk about if he wasn't rallying people around the Robert E. Lee Monument in Richmond? I mean, that's how he got a majority of his supporters. I hate to say that. Yeah, that's
3: a good question. I I don't know. You know, I I don't know – what he would do, I, I'm not really sure. I don't know what any Republican does. I mean, you you you, you, you know you want to. I mean, I think I think the race is interesting because it's shaping up to be, I think, what 20, you know, 18 or 2020 rather, the presidential race could look like with a Trump Republican, a milquetoast Democrat who's done nothing, you know, in his professional life, uh, you know, career. There's no, there's no substantial legislative initiative he's passed or promoted, um, and then a libertarian. And, and, and so I think that if, if, we, if, if things break the right way, it could be a very interesting race. I mean the Republicans woke up after Gillespie got his head handed to him,
0: <laughs> and
3: they looked at the map and said, well, you know what? We don't have any voters in northern Virginia voting for us, and that's a real big problem, right? We don't have young people voting for us. That's another problem. They don't have women voting for them. That's problem number three. So, they they are in complete disarray. And I don't know that Democrats are much better. I mean, you know, again, uh, all due respect to you know Tim Kaine, um, he is not. He's just not a kind of guy who he's not. He's not really that ideological. He's nothing. He's a blank slate. He just he's just he's just not the Republican. And that seems to be good enough sometimes. And so, you know, we come at this with a with an ideology, with a philosophy, with a coherent governing strategy. And you know, it, it, the, the issue is always one of communication. And then people say, why should I waste my vote on a third party? And I, and I, I look, I, I tell you, I think Republicans at this point in the state of Virginia, at least in 2018, look at this and think. This is not a winnable race for us. And just having that seed planted in their brains can certainly bring people over, I think, to really consider our governing philosophy and our strategy for 2018 and beyond.
1: I think it's, it's highly possible. I wanted to ask you, Matt, um, <clears throat> someone um, after I posted about the show tonight – they messaged me, and, they, and, the, and the guy said, "I'm a Democrat. I've been a lifelong Democrat. I voted for Barack Obama twice." He said, um, "I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton in 2012. I'm um, in mean 2016." He said, "I voted Libertarian." He said,
0: uh-huh.
1: "How is he said How is Matt Waters going to convince Democrats to vote for him?"
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think this is this is a rub with the Libertarian Party, right? We're trying to be two things to two groups of people, and I think it's hard to do that. I just, I'll, I'll true confessions here as I walk, walk through this. Yeah, you know, we do that as Students for Liberty. We as Students for, and I'll fall back on that in, in the two plus years I've, I've put in. You know, in the messaging there, as a big camp Libertarian organization, what we like to stay on. Are the issues wherein we all agree: individual liberty, economic freedom, and certainly academic freedom in the, you know, the students for liberty universe. Um, yeah, you know, we have a hard time doing that on campus. For example, on the free on the free speech issue, uh, leftist academics and leftist student organizations do not want to support free speech on campus, and largely they don't. The ACLU was taking the task for this in the Wall Street Journal by I forget who it was over at Cato, uh, but said they've long since abandoned any idea of of individual liberty and free speech. Now, I would say that you know you know that doesn't mean that we don't continue to work with the ACLU and try to work with them on things like surveillance. Um, So that's one area I think that you know civil liberty. If you're a true civil libertarian, a civil liberty person, uh, the surveillance issue. It's got to loom large. I, I think that's just one of those areas where you said, look, this is this is a, it's a privacy issue. We want you to stay out and leave us alone. The Leave, the leave Us Alone Coalition that Grover Norquist is fond of speaking of, um, stay out of my pulpit, stay out of my parenting practices, uh, stay out of my business. We need to communicate this uh, this message um, and look, I think this confusion, this, 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 the idea, and I think maybe the question behind this is that if we are pro liberal or libertine even on social issues, the Democrats and liberals will join us on the economic issues of limited government. And I don't think that's going to happen. I, do- I don't see it happening very much. Um, because I'm literally doing it day by day, and we're talking about economic issues. Uh, when Students for Liberty goes to a campus and we talk about free market environmentalism, or we go and we talk about free speech, you know, or we talk about um, you know, size and scope of government, height, Mises, you know, Austrian economics, we're branded, we're shouted down, and uh, they see it as you know, non-compassionate. You know, they're beating up Professors like um, uh, Bell Curve, what's his name over at AEI, the libertarian. Um, I can't, his name escapes me right now, but I, I can see him. So, you know, I, I think there's, a, there's just, I mean, I think the, the political reality is the left is very hardened, and they're not going to join us on really a, a, lot, a lot of what, you know, what we live for, which is a, a free market. And a very limited government. Now, beyond surveillance, I think there's a real big place they could join us on. I think surveillance is one of them. That could our individual. But the other big spot where I would love to have uh, Democrats join us, certainly there's, there's the war on drugs thing. And I, I, I agree with you know what Rand Paul is doing with things like Cory Booker in New Jersey. I think mean, it's a great alliance. I think mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, It's an economic issue. It's also a freedom issue. It also affects African-Americans. Uh, no victim, no crime. I'm, I'm, I'm good with all that. But the other big issue, should galvanize us, is the issue of peace. It's the warfare state. And historically, Democrats have been the party of peace. Well, as of late, the Republicans have all been in unison for droning, bombing, impeding other countries' sovereignty, and doing it 24 7. As long as the, the B 15 is being built in their congressional district, they're all for it. So I would love to rouse, if there is any, you know, if there's a, someone to rouse and wake up, to rouse that part of that, that Democrat party and say, look, we ought to be a country of peace. We ought to put forward uh, what I'm calling a Virginia peace plan based on George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and the the, the, the notion that we're to avoid foreign entanglements. Um, And we pull up out of the 150 or so countries we're in, come home. That cuts the Defense Department massively. It's a $600 billion budget right now. It's bigger than the next seven countries in line, Russia, China, the U.K., France, Germany, uh, Saudi Arabia, it's bigger than all those countries' military budgets combined, right? Mm. Why? Well, it's because we have, we have people all, uh, all around the world. We have people in Diego Garcia and Iceland. Why? Why do we have four troops get killed in Niger in Africa a month or so ago? The Defense Department didn't even know we had troops there when they first came out. But then they may have. Maybe it was just a ruse, but they initially didn't know. Trump didn't know. The Congress didn't know. We had people there. You know, um, we have people on the ground in Syria in a civil war right now. So that message, I hope, would say, you know what? It's just common sense. What are we doing? We're bankrupting the country. It's one of the big – I mean, someone said that, you know, the United States budget, the United States government really is – it's an insurance program for old people with a pretty good army. That's really where all the money goes right there, Social Security, Medicare, and the defense spending. That's it. That's what you have to work with. All these other things we're talking about, I mean, you can look at the different agencies. I mean, you know, look, a plan to cut spending in the federal government of one to $1.5 trillion a year, I don't know how many liberals are going to buy into that. I just I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how many liberals are going to say, yeah, let's privatize the Department of Agriculture. Let's eliminate the unconstitutional departments of energy and education and HUD. Uh, yeah, I, they might. I, I'd welcome that. Um, but I think we need to get serious about spending and make that the centerpiece. Look, the, the number one issue facing America, the number one concern and poll after poll facing the American people right now, is not jobs or the economy, according to Gallup. It's to, it's their own government. People are afraid of their own government. They love they love their country, but they're afraid of their government. So. Um, that group of people, and it may not be Democrats, and it may not be Republicans, is probably the 50% – 50-plus percent of people who are currently not even voting anymore because they look at the nonsense that's happening up here, and they say, to the hell with it. I don't even want to deal with it anymore. I want to talk to those people. I want to talk to independents and say, look, you need to come back into this thing, cast a vote for a, for, for a party of principles." But you know what? When you late, when you go to bed at night, you feel real good about it. You, know, you, you guys are talking about Dole and McCain and all these guys. I was there. I get it. You know, we can't. You know, you nominate these people, these milk toast candidates. Uh, you know, and you, and you end up with a Trump.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. Um, I wanted to ask you a, a, about Trump. Um, a lot of libertarians supported Trump because they said. Yeah, we don't like him on this, 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 and this, but at least he won't be um, involving us in foreign entanglements overseas, and so we have to vote for him. And um, and then there's a lot of the libertarians that said, you know, Gary Johnson isn't going to win, and I need, and we need to make sure that Hillary doesn't doesn't get in. Um, has, has Trump done anything um, that 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 libertarians should be happy about? Uh, that's a good question. I
3: mean, I, I just saw. I, I read three newspapers a day, and I read the. I read. I, I've skimmed the Post and the Wall Street Journal, and the Times, Washington Times. And the Post had a story just a few days ago on Trump cutting agents to the size of agencies and government employees. You know, the government, the federal government up here, and you guys know this. It, it's basically it, it's a jobs program, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Jobs program. It's a glorified jobs program for, you know. Uh, the people that live in this tri state area. That's what it is. But, but but the fact that he's not filling posts and that the Democrats are, you know, gumming up the works and they don't want him to fill posts is actually working to limit government. So, I mean, in little tiny ways. I mean, we, the Reagan revolution, Reagan came in and said, oh, we're going to eliminate all these things and do all this stuff. Well, he didn't eliminate anything. I think there's like one subcommittee on some panel he, he eliminated or something. Yeah. Anyway, and government expanded massively. Um, so I think there's some I think there's some shrinkage there, you know, uh, you know, and, and look I, I look I, I was I won't say I was enamored with Trump, but I do respect the fact that he went around the entire system. He broke uh, or, or you know maybe walked into a broken system and just bent it over his knee and broke it even further. I, I don't know how, you know history will tell, but. Um, you know, the fact that he didn't—he didn't have very many consultants. Uh, I, I'm up here and I work with people who are on the Scott Walker campaign, on the Jeb Bush campaign, on this campaign. I mean, he blew through eighteen well-qualified, you know, quote-unquote, governors and senators, and you know, so I, I you know, I, I personally respected that quite a bit, and actually put a lot of money on it, and thought I, th- I thought he would win the primary and the and the uh, and the actual general election. So I had the bet one of my. Funnest days of my entire life was Picking up the phone on the day after the election And calling in my chips and, and getting lots of money From people so I, I actually made some Money from the deal but um, But you know I, Yeah I mean look libertarians The Christians not the Christians but the, the Libertarians for Trump people yeah Christians For Trump Christian libertarians for Trump yeah, Libertarians for Trump uh, And who was the head of that that's the Fellow down there I think Mises Institute It was um, uh, one of the uh, economists Loc- down there yeah, Block is Walter, you know, you know, yeah, Walter Bloch. Yeah. Yeah, Walter Block. So and, and he was uh, you know, hope, hopeful that he would not get in this this foreign entanglement. So, well, he's in Trump Trump is he's got his finger on the butt and he told us. You know? I mean he, he's I mean, Reagan makes a joke about it, you know, it's a Gorbachev or something and the and the whole world stops. But you know, Trump does this routinely. And as this gets back to my, really my Thing on the on the peace issue, right? I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a person. I'm not a peacenik, right? I, I don't think that you know if if America is attacked, we should declare war, and the Congress should do it, and we should declare make a declaration of war and fight. But the Defense Department has forgotten what the word defense means. We need to put defense back in the Defense Department. Um, we. You know, we, we're out there, like a hawk, flying over 150 countries and literally in 150 countries. We're, we're picking fights. We're doing exercises with Japan, you know, right off the, right in, the, in the front yard of, of the North Koreans, and we don't think they're going to respond to this, right? I mean, and, um, this is, it's absurd to be, to be playing this high-level this high game. This is the kind of stuff of Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, and all these other politicians who just, who just really want to uh, you know, sustain the military-industrial complex,
0: you yeah. know, keep the
3: spending up. And, and it just, it's just the, the height of arrogance. It just bugs me. These guys are so arrogant. We think we can solve every problem in the world. And look, what's happening right now in Korea? The South and the North are going to march into the Olympics together, right? The Iranians are on the streets protesting, you know, women want to go to college and drive cars and kinds of things. Uh, you know, these people have to make these things happen. We don't need to go in there, our State Department, and go to the UN and all that other nonsense. I, I, I just I trust the, these folks to do this and and do well uh, with, um, you know, uh, you know they they can manage these things themselves. The I we're going to spread democracy. Um, it's an absurd notion, and, and it should be long. It should, it should be long banished from our foreign policy. But there are people like you know Trump is he's buying into it. He's buying into it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's you know Libertarians you know who who voted for him and look at him at Trump. I think there's some disappointment. Um, the tax bill, as as George Will said, the, the you know tax bill. Uh, really showed Republicans, what, for what they are, big spenders. I
2: yeah. wanted to ask you something. You said about the 16th Amendment. You said you wanted to repeal it, repeal the income tax on the yeah. federal level. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. You also Do you also feel as though we should repeal the 17th Amendment, even though you're running for Senate, but would you be in favor of repealing the 17th Amendment and returning the upper house to the state legislatures so that they could appoint senators on staggered terms as the founding fathers intended? The third question I had for you is, you say you're pro-life, but how far would you go into that? How big do you want the government to be to enforce something like that? Are you willing to yeah. you know, grow the government to a level where... Like I like to, my Schneid remark about, you want the government so small it'll fit into the womb.
3: <laughs> yeah, I heard that. That's good. Well, <laughs> that's a good remark. So, a couple of things. On the on the 16th, uh, yeah, definitely for appeal, don't replace it. Um, you know, Ron Paul again showed us how we can do that. This country did not have a federal income tax. Uh, up until what, 1915 or 13, somewhere near. I'll point out I think, yeah, it was Woodrow Wilson. I think he was responsible for that, and the Fed, by the way, all in the same year. Um, and the inheritance tax. I think that was also part of 1913. They adopted, you know, Karl Marx's, you know, uh, uh, you know, from the Communist Manifesto. They, they did a, a, a whole whole deal there in 1913. But um, so, yeah, I would repeal it. Wouldn't replace it. Um, 17th Amendment. I'm You know, I've heard this, there's been talk about that. I mean, um, I would totally be fine with that. I mean, look, if you can get uh, back to the Constitution and the framers that originally intended it to be and the work itself, I'm totally fine with it. I have no problem with that. Although I think the movement right now is to, um, you know, have a popular vote and go that way in elections. I think that's dangerous. I think that's it's, – certainly it's, it's another step removed from the intent of the republic uh, you know, as it was founded. Um, and then to the last question, yeah, look, I, I'm 200 percent pro-life. I'll just tell you guys. I, I am pro-life. I've been, the, I've been in the quote-unquote pro-life movement for a long time. I moved out of the political solution to the movement because I, I don't think there's a political solution for it. Um, and let me tell you what I mean. You know, I've worked for candidates and, and, and action committees and organizations trying to change things from the, you know, let's change Roe v. Wade and appoint people to the court, et cetera, et cetera. Um, look, it's been, I mean, today actually is, I think, the 45th or 46th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, so, so for 45, 46 years, those and those measures have largely, uh, not largely, they've just failed. We, it just hasn't happened. And again, being disillusioned, I, I I took what I do well, which was fundraising and development, and went to um, went to work with the compassionate side of the pro-life movement, which 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 is no government funding. Uh, these are organizations that are not-for-profits or C-3 organizations that are 100% free for women who have an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, they're uh, I just heard a woman last night um, uh, in my local church here. She, she, they had a new ultrasound machine coming in. They got a fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment coming here in Annadale, Virginia, um, that was given to them by a local, another local church. This is the way we do humanitarian, pro-life, humanitarian work: is you have people do it. You don't have a government do it. When the government you know, gets involved, they, they, they screw the pooch, it, it, even, even when they're trying to help people. I can go into that in a minute, but, but the um, – so I'm pro-life, I mean, look, I, the reality is yeah, – it's a reality. It's the law. It's an unfortunate law. Uh, Michael Gerson – I never agree with Michael Gerson, but he had a pretty nice thing in the Post on Friday about this uh, on the uh, Blackness decision – how blackman even in '92, with Casey versus Planned Parenthood '92, when he kind of doubled down on, on on the Roe v. Wade decision, said, "I really don't have any good reason to double down on it, except I'm going to double down on it." Uh, the law is not a very good law. Um, it, it's so so yeah. That, that's where I am. I've I've worked in the movement for a long time, and I I, I actually think it's very compatible with the with the um, uh, the libertarian message. I mean, I, I might I might break with some of you all here, but, but I think that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right in the Declaration, is, um, it's just there, you know. And, and you don't have to be – you know, you don't have to look at the issue from, a, uh, you know, a biblical, evangelical Christian side. You can also look at from a scientific side, a technical side. I mean, again, these ultrasound machines show you what's happening. And I'm a father of five kids. I've seen, you know, multiple ultrasounds done. It's pretty pretty amazing. Um and so I, th- I think we need to protect life. I think we need to – you know, our message is do no harm, right? It's Students for Liberty, it's don't tread on anybody. Um, you know, well, on me, we
2: take, yeah. as far as the Constitution is concerned, Congress would have no authority at all to ban abortions, nor does it have any duty to fund it. And I think both sides are extreme on that. You have one side who wants Congress to be able to ban abortions, all abortions with a stroke of a pen through legislative fiat, and you have the other side who thinks the federal government should pay for any woman to have an abortion. And I think both right. sides are wrong on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Shouldn't it be that, left to the that, states? Wouldn't it be left to the states yeah. under the 10th Amendment?
3: Yeah, look. I mean, th- this is where it started, right? And this is where the pushback, I mean, you know, the. the um uh, Look, I think there are a lot of issues should be left to the states. I mean, look. There, there are a lot of issues that if, if they were left in the states, they would be you know, illegal or legal, depending on which side you're on, in the majority of states. If, the license <clears throat> is a perfect example. If, if the state – if state legislators are, I think, what, 31 or 100 uh, percent Republican, uh, if they went out there and did some work on this issue you, – you, I put it to the vote to the people, and they had a ballot initiative – you could conceivably have 30-plus states in this country that just banned abortion. You sort of have that right now because they keep defunding Planned Parenthood and it's going to Medicaid dollars and all kinds of and, and very creative ways to get to it
0: and successful,
3: and, up, and it's been upheld in the court of law that they can do this. It's state dollars. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think it's, it's kind of – I mean look, it's, it's kind of happening now, and look, it, it, from my vantage point, the good news is, is that uh, abortion, the rate is going down. Um, it, it, you know, less and less people are doing that. That's, that's the, that's. I think that's a part of the work that, again, not-for-profit organizations uh, that are wholly run by the goodness of, you know, people in certain communities are are making a difference.
2: Uh, so you're saying to... that you're, 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 you're saying that you're pro-life, but you're not necessarily anti-choice. No, Is that what I, you're I, coming I'm... now as a libertarian because. As a libertarian, you believe in individual rights to make your own decisions, and a lot of social conservatives fail to understand that if the government were able to implement the agenda that they want, it would be such an oppressive society that nobody would want to live in it. And I, I struggle with this issue myself because yeah, yeah. I'm mostly pro-choice, but I'm not militant about it, but I just don't want yeah. bigger, more intrusive, and more oppressive government. And Nicolai Ceausescu in Romania outlawed abortions back in the late 70s, and you see how that worked out over there. There's a lot of unintended consequences with this thing, especially if you're a fiscal conservative. Who's going to pay for all this? Everything has a cost that has to be borne by somebody else, and if abortion were ever outlawed in the United States, you would have wealthy suburban women who would be able to find their family doctor to handle it discreetly, and you would have a whole lot of poor people having more and more children whom they can't afford And the taxpayers that end up getting stuck with the bill, and then you've got a whole other generation of people who are going to grow up in single-family homes, more likely to be on welfare, more crime, and all this other stuff that could possibly happen. I hate to sound like a leftist when I say that, but some of these things would happen. I've seen it happen firsthand with people uh, whom I've known. I've seen the effects of a woman who's 25 years old with six kids under the age of five. And, she, yeah, you know, that yeah. she can't work because she can't afford to, you know, it just snowballs. And then their kids are more likely to repeat the same pattern. I've seen it happen, especially being in law enforcement at one time in my life. I, it's an g- intergenerational cycle, and it's very hard to break. And I, well, I, I don't yeah. know what the answer is, but it's not bigger government.
3: Yeah, I would say that at the, the, the root of this, it's a question like – this is, this is a debate, right? You're getting right to the heart. You have to go back to the debate. I mean I believe that life begins with conception. If you believe that, and I do, then I believe that we have – the government has a duty to protect life. That's one area. We can disagree about it, but that's one area. If we agree with life, they should protect the life of you – know, that's the self-interest of the government to do that. Uh right, I mean, all these other things you're you're talking about i mean look i i again I've worked on this issue for twenty five years i could I could cite it's bad. the unintended oh,
2: consequences
3: no sure no I, I get that I get that a lot i mean look it's oh man, the government i mean this is not an easy issue i mean look this, this especially is when we're overpopulated
2: game. don't you think don't you think a better answer is more access to birth control and better education to prevent unwanted <laughs> well, pregnancies in the first place? So that there would be fewer abortions that people would feel would be needed.
3: Well, I would, I would challenge you on uh, uh, overpopulation. First of all, we're, we're, and this is where I would go, you know, this is where I kind of, I'm probably lean pro. You live in Northern because,
2: Virginia, you can't tell me we're not overpopulated. I've worked uh, up there, yeah. we are overpopulated.
3: No. <laughs> no, well, if you look at Jonathan last book, Jonathan LAST, What to Expect When Nobody's Expecting. The coming American demographic disaster, and it's very. i just, I point you to that. It's a whole book. You can read it. It's, it's very well written. 150 pages, but he, he crunches the numbers. You got to look at the numbers, and you look at it. If you look at the industrialized countries, not just America, but by the way, our population is bumping up. The only reason our population is bumping up is because of immigration. That's a different topic. But why is it important that the population grows, and why is it important that we just lost? 60 million unborn babies since 1973. Well, that has unintended consequences like Social Security, Medicare, completely bankrupt because you don't have 60 million workers in the workplace. Working. But then you're going to have 60 million
2: more people who are going to take out from the system when they get older. You could run that so, case either way, sir.
3: Yeah, sure. No, I, I totally agree. And, and what I would do, so I would look at two, two, two things. Jonathan Lass so and what to expect when nobody's expecting. And there are very detrimental consequences when the population shrinks. It's gonna, it, it, you know, and we're seeing that in Russia. I mean, look, the Russian government right Japan. Now is paying women, and Japan, and Italy, and France, and 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 right, those countries are little, the governments are paying women to have babies. Now we sort of did that, you know, talk about the six women situation. I mean, you don't have to look any further than great, you know, Lyndon Johnson's quote-unquote great society programs where the federal government was incentivizing bad behavior, right? If you're a single woman and you have a kid, your check is this big. If you have two kids, it gets a little bit bigger. If you have three kids, it gets a little bit bigger. So you're incentivizing, in some communities, fatherlessness, right, which is going to lead to poverty. The number one leading indicator of poverty is not having a wedding band on your left hand. And research shows it again and again. So – but the government is "quote unquote" trying to help people, and what did it do? It's decimated uh, an entire community where you've got out of wedlock children in the African American community at seventy-five percent. And you think if you outlawed
2: abortion, that those numbers would go down? No, I
3: don't. I don't know what. I don't know what would happen. I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not pro-life to manipulate data. I'm not pro-life to, you know, mani- you know, to to. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I'm pro-life because I think on principle it's a life, and government kind of has to protect life. End of story. I mean, I, you know, we 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 would have to you know disagree about that, and that's fine. That's but, fair but, enough. Yeah, and I think the Democrat Party, I'll say this. It's interesting. You know, we all, all often parties after they lose an election. Um, we'll do a, do an introspection. They'll look at themselves. And say, hey, what happened? You now, it took the Democrats a little bit longer this time uh, after Hillary finally decided to go into retirement finally. Um, but one of the things they said was, on that issue, that single issue, we need to be flexible. That's Nancy Pelosi saying that. That's a, and, and, you know, Ramesh Panero, who wrote uh, The Party of Death back in the late 90s, mid-90s, um, you know, well-documented. You know, look, I, I, I became pro-life, by the way, when I read Al Gore and Jesse Jackson back in the mid-'80s. But what happened to those guys? Well, they sold out. They, they said, "Hey, look. Well, they sold out.
2: Food. Yeah, they sold out. They sold out, out. So just just like a lot of Democrats have sold out on the firearms issue as well. Totally on that issue,
3: or on the peace issue.
2: Yeah, right. Yep.
3: Or, or look, at, look at the ACLU right now. They've tucked down mm-hmm. and run. And it, yep. it,
0: it, 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 I
3: mean, I mean, look, we're going on. I mean, look, students for Liberty's going on campus right now, and we find very few allies on the left. We try to work with them. We we'll, 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 hey, look. Black Lives Matter. Let's have, a, let's have a conversation. Let's not just shout at each other and, and and shout each other down. Let's sit at a table and have a conversation about issues, and not you know not do it with inflammatory rhetoric. But let's have a civilized. And that's the thing. I think one of the issues right now is is the inflammatory rhetoric. You know, of course, Trump's tweets, and we've heard all about that. Um, we need, we do need to sit down and say, look, what are the main problems facing this country? And I think it's spending. I think it's an out of control government and every every department is unconstitutional. Uh, you know, I, I would, I'm a big privacy, uh, a, a private um, sector guy. I think you can privatize agriculture and HUD and education. I'm a homeschool dad. I mean, look, I pay. Just, so you, I have five kids, guys. You know how much I'm paying for education every year annually, about fifteen grand. You mm-hmm. know what it costs? It cost to educate one kid in this country twenty grand. One kid, twenty grand. Thank you, thank you, United States government. I'm in the private sector, paying taxes for <clears throat> the kid next door to go to public school, and I'm paying for my own five kids' education. Yep, I'm with you my, on that. Because, because the government can't do it better. Why, why did we? Why did? Why did my, my wife and I back out of vaccine? Some of the vaccines because I don't trust my government. I don't trust them to teach my kids. I don't teach them to vaccine my kids. I don't, teach them, I don't trust them to, 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 you know, uh, not to be listening to me or spying on me. Um, I don't trust them to tell me the truth. I mean, look, you, you don't have to be a Vietnam War veteran to understand that it was a, the Pulitzer Prize-winning book was Bright, Shining Lie. They lied mm-hmm. about Vietnam. They've lied to African Americans about what they experimented on. They've lied to the American Indians. Look, this country, again, I, I love my country, but this government, you, you just have to sit back and say, you know what? We need to limit this government because it's in every freaking area of our lives. And that's where, mm-hmm. we, you know, that's, that's where, you know I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there for, for now.
2: <laughs> you could trust the government, just ask any Indian, right? Exactly right. Yeah, I, lo- I love but
3: that. I love that. I've seen that. Yeah,
2: that's great. I also wanted to ask you about the Second Amendment. Um, I I know your views are seem to be in a lot in line with one of the Republicans named Nick Friedas, but are you are you pretty much uh, on board as being pro Second Amendment, protecting the right to keep and bear arms and self defense? Yeah. So I'll, I'll t- guys, I, I am. Uh, you know, so so
3: as I talk about you know life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration, you've got the you've got the Ten Amendments. The First Amendment has the five freedoms: freedom of religion. So I, I do carry a a New Testament or, a, with me almost at all times. Uh, I in the segue I that's, so that's my First Amendment. I keep in my pocket. I keep my Second Amendment on my hip, my Ruger. I carry with me. I'm a concealed carry. as is my wife, and um, I'm a lifetime member of NRA. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in the in the uh, right to keep and bear arms. Um, you know, enough said.
2: Do you believe in the uh anything in the bill going through Congress regarding reciprocity for concealed carry permits, of which I have one as well? Yeah, no,
3: I'm I'm look I'm for it. I mean I, I don't know the details of that. I've heard about the reciprocity bills. Um, if you know, if my friends and gun owners of America are for it, I'm gonna be for it. Um and I would like to see that happen. It makes sense. I think it's constitutional. I, I don't know. I mean, look, we're, look, we're winning on that issue. The cool thing is we're winning on that issue. Um, you know, uh, gun sales were at all time uh, uh, high uh, under Obama for eight years. I think they cooled off a little bit, but still, um, look, that's who we are as a country. And that, you know, we start. You know, it's students for liberty. We have. Chapters all around the world And we had a retreat in Brussels The heart of it what the European government over there The EU Um, And it's interesting You talk to libertarians in Europe You know they're really happy That our federal government is over there Defending them You know why? Because they don't have to pay for it They'll tell you We're really glad you guys are over here in France And down here in Italy Because we don't want to pay for it We're already broke As it is Um, So a really different mindset But Um, You know the the Europe, you know, America is utterly unique because we start with what the idea of the individual. That's where we start. The individual is to you know, you know, you know. We we don't have a state religion, therefore we're a pretty religious country. The countries that have state religions, England, Germany, Sweden, whatever, they're all dead. Russia, they're all dead because the state killed it.
0: You know.
2: Um, you know,
3: the economy largely, largely free market, but lurching to centralized planning, where you have centralized planning countries like in Venezuela, socialism, it's dying, it's eating itself, and the people are eating out of garbage cans. Um, you know, so, so we start with the individual. Those places, almost every other place in the world starts with the idea of the state. The state can figure this out. We're going to start there. And that's the starting point. I mean, even, even philanthropy. You know, this country is the most philanthropic country in the entire world. Why? Well, I think it goes back to our religious freedoms, that we aren't a welfare state. We weren't a welfare state initially. You know, lately, there's American compassion has been a, just a, a horrible social experiment um, from the welfare state to foreign aid it doesn't work. We're actually hurting people by giving them money and handing things out. It hurts. It doesn't help people. And they know it. But I'm not picking on, you know, you know, any one particular group of people. They know it. You know, they know what it's like to have medic you know, have quote unquote socialized medicine. A lot of these folks have have, have had socialized medicine for years.
0: Medicaid, mm-hmm. Medicaid.
3: That's how they give birth. And it's, it's tragic. So, you know, they know something's not right. They know it doesn't work. Um yeah, so so I, I you know we we've got a we've got a system that uh, is lurching toward government. I mean, if, if you're going to build a house, uh, you know, down on the the coast, you know, the Gulf Coast, and hurricanes, blows away. Why should I pay for that? Why should me as a taxpayer pay for your decision to do that? Or if I, if you want to ride a motorcycle without a helmet, go do it. But when you get your head knocked off, don't ask me to pay the bill. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know. If you want to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, fine, go do it. But don't make me pay your bill when you have cancer. I, I just don't want you know. So um, I think we—that's not—that's not—that's not being not compassionate. That's not put. What it means is you know the government's not putting a gun to my head, forcing me, you know, taking my money in my pocket, and giving it to the guy across the street who made the odd decision. Um, you know. So so I think I think you know, I trust the private sector. I trust the charitable sector. Um, We're still a very, very terrible
2: country, Um, and that's that's where we are, guys. But, you know, we're looking toward – yeah. What would you say is sort of a – I don't know if you want to call it a closing remark. We've we've really ganged up on you tonight and fired a lot of questions at you. But what (laughs) would you say to somebody who is an average Virginian, maybe a little bit moderate, maybe some conservative, maybe some liberal, somewhere in the middle – An average, ordinary Virginian who cares about the state and cares about the country, what would be your message as to why, if they lean Republican, they should vote for you over Nick Friedas or Corey Stewart? And if they were a Democrat, why they should support you over Tim Kaine? What would you say to either one of them?
3: Yeah, I would... I think I'm going to go back to my roots. I mean, my campaign, really, my slogan is going to be the Virginian, because I am the only Virginian in the race. Now, so I certainly have to change that. If, if, and I'm going to fly under the Virginian banner. What's the banner of Virginia? Thus always to tyrants. That's our banner. That's always been our banner. You know, when we came to Jamestown in 1607, we came to set up an independent colony, and we did that. About 100 years later, just down the street in Yorktown, we set up and fought for and won an independent republic in Virginia. You know, Patrick Henry gave a great speech in Richmond. George Washington fought a battle in uh, Yorktown. And Thomas Jefferson wrote a piece of paper in Charlottesville. Here in Virginia, the birthplace of liberty, I want Virginians to remember who we are. We're people who love this state, who love liberty And we should not we, And recognize That the tyrant today is not a king Sitting in England The tyrant today is our very own government And it's in the form of The NSA And the IRS It's in the form of the DOJ and the FBI It's in the form of the war on drugs And a debt It's in the form of a warfare welfare state We're broke We can't afford it anymore we need to rally mm-hmm. around common-sense economic solutions to get us out of the morass that we're in. Now, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care about ideology that much. You know, a lot of, you know you're going to see my literature. I'm not, I'm not here in this for the Libertarian Party. I'm in it for the idea of liberty, and it just happens to be that the Libertarian Party is the one holding that banner up. So, you know, property rights, limited government, respect for individual rights, toleration – You've got this. Is who it, what it means to be a, to, to be an American? But but really, I'm going to fall back on that Virginia idea of who we are. Remember who you are. Remember what flag, what banner we're under. And that's my motto. It's the motto of every Virginian. And and um, so that that's that's kind of the the message.
2: Well said, Joe. Do you have anything? It,
1: well, <clears throat> Matt, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. Um, we've had a we've had a great discussion and um, just tell the listeners out there how they can get in touch with you if they want to help you select signatures. Oh, and that, and you can, you can briefly talk about how many signatures you need to get on the ballot, too.
0: Yeah,
3: Joe, so, so, yeah, a couple of things. The website, uh, mattwaters.com, it's only going to point you to my Facebook page today, uh, hopefully by the end of the week or in, in the coming, you know, maybe seven days, maybe ten days. The website will be launched, and you can go there. We'll have a petition on that on that page you can download. Um, I am looking for um, 11 district uh, chairpersons to the campaign to help me in the districts. Why? Because I've got to get 400 uh, signatures from each of the 11 Virginia congressional districts. That puts us at about 4,400, I think, signatures. Then we need an additional... Uh, 6,000 or so, seven, 8,000, just from anybody um, in Virginia, registered voters. And so I'm looking for people to help me in that effort. You can go to Mattwaters.com and do that. Um, I am, uh, I've am. i got a headquarters. I'll be working out of the headquarters at, at the Libertarian National Party here, now Alexandria, Virginia, on Duke Street. Um, I'll be sending out a mailing. I'll be doing emails, uh, phone calls, other things like that. Uh, look, my, my goal is to raise um, a lot of money. And, uh, to have a, and, and, and to hold it and, uh, and then uh, hit, hit, hit folks at the right time with the right message. Um, we've got eight months to do it. No one's thinking about this campaign until after, after Labor Day. And, um, but, but we need to be on the ballot. Our, our, we've got to turn these signatures in in, in June. Um, and I think – what was your other question, Joe? Do you have another one?
1: Um, well, that was it. Just tell us tell people how to get in touch with you great. if they if yeah. they want to volunteer or not and I think you've pretty right. much done that.
0: Great, great, thanks. Yeah.
1: So, well, we we certainly enjoyed having you on. Um, would love to have you back on um calling from your phone in Washington DC when you're sitting in well, not Washington um but in your office um where um calling and 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 talking to us as the new senator. Very good. No,
3: I'd, I'd love to do that. And if that's the case, I, you know, you guys, this is the first time I've done this. I'm not a pro at this, so I'm, I'm working through a lot of these. Uh, these you did very well. So, well, thank you. And, well, well, and, uh, thank you. <clears throat> yeah,
1: yeah, it was great. Um, one of the best interviews we've done in in recent months. So it was it was good oh, to great. have you on. Um, yeah. So. All very right. good, guys. Um Matt. Well, thank you, and we'll have you on again soon. Okay.
2: Thanks so much. Take care. Good luck, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye
1: bye. So, uh, Mr. Kleb.
2: I think he was very oh, well Mr. prepared for the interview. He, he definitely knows his stuff, and I mean, he's he. I'm with them nine. I'm with them ninety percent.
1: Okay. Well, hey, um, ninety percent is good.
2: Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure I'm probably closer in line with his beliefs or I should say his are closer in mind than Corey Stewart or Tim Kaine or anybody else. I mean, he is, he's a lot like Nick Friedis. I, I think that the two of them, it would be an awesome debate between the two of them if that were to happen. That would really be a wonderful debate and Tim Kane. I'd love to see a three-way debate between those gentlemen. That would be worthy of pay-per-view. I think. The man knows mm-hmm. his stuff. And he seems like he's got his, his head and his heart in the right place.
1: Yeah, I do you agree? I I, I do. I, I, I think so.
2: Excellent. Mm-hmm. I guess Jeffrey couldn't make it tonight, right?
1: Yeah, he um he he has other other things planned and Andy wasn't able to get here.
2: Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting um, to have some questions from those gentlemen.
1: Yes. Um, Well, um, our our next show is um, February 5th. Uh, We're going to have Dave Nolly on the program uh, to talk with us about a lot of things, immigration, Trump, much more. Um, And Dave Nolley is one of the most colorful people I know on Facebook and I share a lot of his stuff. So it's going to be fun to talk with him about where the Republican party is right now and where it's headed, uh, because he's, he's big on that topic as well. And, um, so we'll, we'll be in touch with him also, uh, on the next show. Um, I wasn't able to prepare the audio file for this program, but, uh, Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois went after Trump, um, about, um, getting involved in the Middle East, and so we'll have an audio of her and and her absolutely wonderful speech um, uh, about Trump. She called him a five-deferment draft author.
2: I read and, that.
1: Um, yeah, and um, I forget what else she said, but it was, it was something funny. Um, uh, I'm looking here through the, through the transcript, and it was just something – she said that was that was really really funny and she says it in her speech and um it's we'll, we'll play you the audio next time so anyway um you know this has been a good show and um oh yeah cadet bones that's what she called him cadet bonespurs because that's oh. the reason that he that that he didn't that he that he was able to get out of military service because he had bone spurs. <laughs> Can't say I've ever heard of that
2: being an excuse. Uh,
1: well, you don't have the kind of money that he does either. <laughs>
2: well that's true. That is true.
1: Anyway, well it's it's been fun, so we'll we'll do it again on February fifth.
2: Sounds good to me. You have a good night, sir.
1: All right.